Come on, praise the Lord. Oh, I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. Amen. God's doing some amazing things in the midst of our church. And, you know, as I was in the back and I was hearing Lord make announcements, I just felt the Spirit of God tell me that we should not be intimidated by His will, but we should be intimated with His will. That we should, you know, grow intimate with God and, and what He's doing and not be intimidated by the size of what He's doing. Amen. And uh, we've been offered unique opportunities, and it didn't come through contemporary means, but. God did some amazing things to make this happen. He pushed us out of our comfort zone. And so I encourage you to be here on Thursday. If you are a member or a member in process or you just love our church, be here on Thursday. I know a lot of us couldn't make it today, but just be here. Amen. Tell somebody about it after, after service on Facebook. All right? Amen. I've asked them to kind of just turn the lights down today so we can just have some intimacy with the Lord. As I really believe the Lord wants to speak to our hearts today. He wants to just really deal with some things on the inside. Tell somebody next to you he wants to deal with the inside. Come on, let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, God, my heart and my prayer is that you would allow a anointing to rest in this house. Touch every heart, every mind. Speak to every individual right now. Holy Spirit, let your spirit just manifest and come into this place. Let your glory be shown in us, God. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross as I preach your word. And I speak what you put in my heart. This fire that you've shut in my bones, Father God. That you would allow me to say it in the way in which you gave it to me, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're still in our, our week two series of surrendering is greater than struggling. As I was preparing this week... Uh, praying and just talking to the Lord, I began to speak to him concerning just Bridgeport, our city, our surroundings, you know, the, our, our state in general. Just the, the way things are, the spiritual atmosphere and how we need an awakening. As, as an individual, as a believer, my desire is not to see God bless me. My desire is not to see my life become prosperous. My desire is not to see God make us into some mega church with no impact my desire is is not to just grow but have no effect because that's called a cancer my desire is to grow and be impactful my desire is to see God move my desire is to see lives changed my desire is to see people converted my desire is to see the lost won not the churches transferred my desire is to see God move in a mighty and powerful way my desire is to see that, that God desires to bring a great spiritual awakening throughout our area of New England. Amen. Now, I realize that it's not my desire, but it's God's desire that he placed in me into the fabric of my life. He weaved that into my character when I was in my mother's womb. He weaved inside of me the necessity to see God move. And until I see God move, I have not lived. In scripture, we read of a man named David. He was the king of Israel. David, this boy, was appointed, rather anointed king at a very young age. And David is the one who killed the giant Goliath. And David is the man who grew to be a great warrior. And David is the one who wrote a great deal of the Psalms. And David was a great king, the greatest king Israel ever knew. And the New Testament describes David as a man after God's heart. He's a man after God's heart. I want to be a man after God's heart. 
I have this is that David desired to build a, a temple before the Lord. David desired to do great things for God. But yet because of the things that David did in his life, he could not do great things for God. David at one point wanted to build a temple before the Lord. And God said, no, you've got too much blood on your hands. And I'm going to have your son Solomon build it. God was not talking about blood from warfare. He was talking about a story with Bathsheba and her husband Uzziah. In the book of Psalms, 2nd Psalms, or rather Samuel chapter 11. It says this. Concerning David, it says in the first verse, In the times where kings go off to war, David lingered in Jerusalem. David stayed in Jerusalem. Long story short, I'll break it down for you. David was on the roof of his palace and he looked down and he saw this woman named Bathsheba and he lusted after her and he called her up to his chambers and he slept with her. He got her pregnant, found out she was married, called her husband. He didn't listen. He didn't sleep with her. He got him killed and the whole story, it was a mess. It was like Jerry Springer. I mean, it was a real mess. I mean, like the Bible has like some of the best soap operas you could possibly. The Bible's awesome. If you read it and like, oh my God, like he's sleeping around, killing people. I mean, it's better than Days of Our Lives and General Hospital and all those. It's better than Grey's Anatomy. It's better than all this stuff that we're addicted to. It's better than that new scandal show. It's better than Game of Thrones because he's the king of thrones. It's better. If we would spend as much time in the word as we spend on other things. But that's even besides the point. David was caught red-handed. God sent a prophet named Nathan. The Bible calls him an eagle-eyed prophet. He sent Nathan out. And Nathan walked up to David and he said, David, David, what would you do if a man had, had a whole flock of lambs? And he had a visitor come to his house. And instead of taking one of his lambs and sacrificing it, he took the poor man's lamb, his only lamb, and he took it and he killed it and fed it to that man. And David said, I would kill that man. And Nathan said, you are that man. Because you killed Uzziah. And so we read this prayer, what I really want to get to, Psalms 51. David is, is reaching a place of, I don't want to say guilt because it wasn't guilt. It was the weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Rather, not even, not, I'll correct that, the weight of the conviction of God. God himself, the weight of the conviction. And this is what David says in Psalms 51 verse 10. I promise you, I'm going to go somewhere with this. Psalms 51, verse 10 to 17. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Meaning, God, I, my heart that I have now, it's not what you desire. I need you to make a whole new one in me. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. He says, renew it. The one I have, me chasing after you the way I should, it's dead. I need a new one. That one before, renew it in me. It's dead. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence. David realizes sin draws you out of God's presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. David realizes sin removes the Holy Spirit and the sensitivity to who he is. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David realizes sin steals your joy. That salvation brings. Because when we sin and we repeatedly sin, even after grace, we have to realize that Hebrews 10 says, if you do that, there's no sacrifice left. 
If you take, keep taking advantage, David even realized here, David's speaking a prayer of grace. This is not law. This is grace he's preaching. He did not sit there and, and give a sacrifice. He did not kill a bull according to the law. He gave God a broken heart and a contrite spirit. We'll get there. And so David says, I realize that, that if I keep on sinning, it removes the joy of my salvation. He says, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Because when we sin and when we act outside of God's will, we no longer are willing to God's purposes. And so we're saying, I don't want to go to church. I'm mad. Oh, I don't, I don't want to worship God. I'm in a bad mood. He realizes that sin and, and, and just the, the weight of the enemy's plan, it removes the willingness to do God's desires in you. Is anybody here with me today? He says, then... Meaning after you give me a new heart, after I have a steadfast spirit, after you bring me into your presence and give me back the Holy Spirit, after you restore my joy, I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Verse 14, you are my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it, and you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. He's talking about the law. He said, or I would bring it, but my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit and a contrite, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise these. You will not despise these we see here in the scripture david going before the lord in prayer he's calling unto god he's crying out to, him to create a new heart in him because what he has right now is totally tainted he realized that he needed to be recreated and revived and revitalized in verses prior to this he declares lord i was sinful from my mother's womb Anybody with David, you, you can immediately draw a point of reference that you're sinful from the time of birth. We're sinful from the time of birth. And David says, listen, Lord, I've been like this my whole life, but now I need you to recreate. That's why Jesus said you have to be reborn. He said, I need you to recreate in me a clean heart. He's not talking a physical heart, but a, a place of decision, a place of, of where he makes all his life's decisions. He knows that they've been bad up to this point, and he says, God, make me over because I want to make good decisions and not bad ones. He says, God, I want to make righteous choices, not unrighteous choices. And what good is your grace if I can't go back now and make righteous choices? What good is the forgiveness of God if all we keep doing is sinning? What good is it? We trample on the cross, Hebrews 6. We trample on the sacrifice of Jesus. My desire as a preacher, as a pastor, is to see God break out in total and full-scale revival and awaken the Bridgeport and awaken our surrounding cities. But as I was praying, God began dealing with me why he's not been awakening New England. You see, David said that he was crushed. He was, had a contrite spirit. This word contrite in Hebrew means to be crushed by the weight of conviction. To be crushed. And this is the, the this is the biggest problem with the gospel we preach today is that people aren't crushed by sin. We, we preach this sugar-coated candy gospel of just like you ask God to forgive you and you're done. And yes, that's partially true, but then there comes a lifestyle that comes after it. It's not just grace, it's grace with holiness. He gives you the power to live. Holy and the church 
of God in this day and age, we're not broken by sin, we're not disgusted by sin, and we're not crushed by sin. That's all right. If I reach one, I've done my job today. My desire is to see an awakening break forth. David was crushed by the weight of the conviction of the Spirit of God. God showed me this, that being convicted of our sin is not just merely feeling bad about it, but it's to feel the weight of the death of Jesus Christ and the pain that we cause God and the, the way he stood in the gap for us. We should feel that. We should know that our sin hurts an all-inspiring, holy, and righteous God because God has not changed. Just because the blood has come down does not mean sin still does not hurt him. It does not mean that your sin does not affect him. It does not mean that he doesn't cry every time a soul enters hell. It does not mean that. It means he's offered you a way out. I began to feel the Lord even as I was studying in my, in my, I was in my bedroom because I've been having a lot of back pain and, and I was in my, my bed and I was just sitting there and the Spirit of God began dealing with me and I began to weep in His presence and I literally began to feel the pressure and the, and the pressure of the weight of what Jesus suffered and I was beginning to feel how God was just so broken up even by the things in my life. We've struggled with surrendering to feeling broken by God and we've pawned it off as saying, well, I don't want to remain in guilt. It's not about remaining in guilt. It's about living, knowing that someone died in your place, but you live as if you done did nothing and nobody paid a price. You, we, we live as if nothing matters except that we can ask God to forgive us every day, and that's fine. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. For if it was, then after you're saved, you're always saved. And that's that. Once saved, always saved. Hey, I would love that, but it's not so. If it were so, the, 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 the Apostle Paul would not have put in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should not neglect the gathering and that we should not walk away from God's grace and that we should not insult the spirit of grace. He wouldn't have said that. They wouldn't have given us righteous tips for living. They wouldn't have given us the fruit of the spirit. They wouldn't have given us none of this, none of it, none of it. If it was once saved, always saved. That's a very appealing gospel. That's a very itchy ear, once saved, always saved. Oh, I gave God my life, and now I just have to struggle through life. That is not true. Because the Bible says he's given you everything to live a holy, godly life. God began to deal with me. He began to really deal with me. David said, my sacrifice, O oh Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He says, God began to deal with the claim the church refrains from sin primarily not because we hate it, but because we know it's wrong. This is the equivalent of marrying one woman while being in love with another, but refusing to be with her because she has AIDS. And so we don't hate the sin, we just don't do it. I'm guilty of this. We don't hate sin, we just don't do it because we know it's wrong. But we look upon it like fondly, like, mm, I wish I could. You're lucky. That's why we say stuff like, you're lucky I'm saved. Because in me, there's something that wants to cuss you out. And in me, there's something that wants to do this. And I want to smoke. And I want to get high. And I, I want to go out clubbing. And I want to sleep around. And I want to have premarital sex. And I want to. But I'm saved. I'm saved. That's why you have the wrong song come on. And your fit starts twitching in the wrong way. Leave it on for too long. And your butt might start shaking. And the convicted folks laughed. Amen. Just... All the booty poppers in the church. Like, that's me. 
that's that's me. Got all the pictures on Facebook like that. Just there's two there's two poses on Facebook. This one and this one. Just and then and then and then there's that. What is this stupid phenomenon of taking pictures in the bathroom? I mean, just put the phone down. Wipe your butt. Why are you? What are you doing? You just used the bathroom. Did you wash your hands before you did that? That is disgusting. And then they want to take pictures in my bathroom. I see it on Facebook. That's, that's, that's my toilet. That's my bathroom. No names. <laughs> I still believe you can have fun in church. Amen. Loving God, rather, rather not hating sin and refraining from it because we know it's wrong is the equivalent, literally, of marrying one girl but being in love with another but knowing you can't be with her because she's diseased. I've heard people walk up to me, I'm in sin, I don't care, I know I'm wrong, that's fine, I don't care. Not caring about what they're doing to God. David was broken up about the fact that he sinned against the holy, righteous God. His spirit was crushed under this conviction of his own sin, just like a man who is sentenced to life in prison for murder would break down the courtroom under the weight of that conviction. He's not sentenced to death. He's just given life in prison, and he's broken under it. And David realizes, if I live in sin, I I gave Jesus a death sentence, and he's crushed under the weight. I don't think you understand. That's all right. You'll you'll get it. (coughs) The conviction of his crime broke his heart the conviction of what we do should break us we ask for forgiveness of our sins and never really think of the cost of our forgiveness that's like when you bring somebody out to eat with you and 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 you're trying to bless them and you want to be nice to them and you, you know I, i'll pay and because they're in a tough spot and, and that's fine that's great but they want to go and order the most expensive thing on the menu and, and then they want to order not just like a, a soda. They want to get a milkshake. That's like three fifty nine, no matter where you go. And then they want to order, order a, a nice iced lemonade or something. They want to order stuff that you wouldn't even eat because you're on a budget. And there you are sitting with your, with your little two eggs over medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got four pieces of toast, two slices of bacon, and, and, and your home fries over at Andrew's Diner. And this fool rocking steak and eggs. And not just like regular steak. They got the prime New York strip steak and eggs. And you're just sitting there like, man, I wanted to bless you, not like make you fat. I wanted to help you. I wanted to feed you, not, you know, this is Andrews and you still found a way to spend $20. And we laugh, but when we always ask forgiveness and not measure the cost of the forgiveness, we become hypocritical. And we become the people we just laughed at. So maybe someone's laughing at you somewhere. I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend you, but I'm here to offend you. We sing songs asking God to break our heart for what breaks his in church. Hear me today. Sin breaks God's heart. Sin breaks his heart. And yes, Jesus died for all of your sins. And yes, you are under grace. But when you continue to trample the cross of Christ, you're in dangerous territories. If God, if God broke our hearts for what breaks his, you would be in shambles and ruined by his presence. 
when God began to deal with me, all I could do was cry and all I could do was weep and I was ruined by his presence. The Lord began to deal with me about the filth even in my own life because even the smallest of sin is the greatest of filth to God. Because in God's eyes, sin is sin. God desires for us to know the price that was paid on Calvary. If we desire to see an awakening of the Holy Spirit, it would not come by mediocre, Lord, I'm sorry's, that never produced change in your life. It would not come by Sunday attendance to church. It will not come, church, it will not come in your own life. It will not ever come if you're not broken by the sin in your life. And some of us say, oh, oh, but Jesus was broken for me. He was broken physically, but he wasn't broken spiritually, and we need to be broken spiritually. This is why so many times we go back and forth in the same sin because we never gave up the love we had for it. We never really felt the conviction of it. That's why I've had people tell me, I just don't think this is a sin. Well, I don't care what you think because you think that things are okay does not make it okay. Truth is still truth even if you reject it. And what sin is sin in God's eyes. Sin is sin. David was after God's heart because he was broken by the sin that God called him in. The weight of this conviction was so thick over his life, he felt the necessity to ask God for a totally new heart. He was so broken by God, he said, this heart shattered. Need a new one, Lord. Not us. We come in and we, we just, God, forgive me for my sins, and now I'm all clean, and I'm going to go out and do it all over again. <clears throat> there is power in brokenness. It isn't enough to offer God simple I'm sorry's, but it's to be broken by our sins. And, and it's not enough to come and take a cleansing shower in the bathroom of grace and head back out into sinning. Psalms 34 verse 18. Psalms 34 verse 18 says this. The Lord is near <clears throat> to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. I don't know if you just caught that. He's near to you when you are brokenhearted about your life. And he draws closer to you and he comes close into you. And then when you're crushed in spirit, he'll save you. But we want to be upright, standing tall like we've done something great, walking in God's favor and still be saved by God and still be close to God. We haven't even hit our knees yet, have never even kneeled before the presence of an awesome God. And yet we want all the benefits of God and all the blessings of God. And we want everything in our life to go great because we said a little prayer. But yet, we're not broken and we're not crushed. It's amazing. It's amazing how we as believers and we as human beings could take one piece of a recipe and desire for it to taste like the whole shebang. Sitting there, just eating sazon. I thought it was supposed to taste like steak. This isn't good. That's how it is when you take one ingredient you say, well, I said a prayer. Why is it? Why, why do I still have all these problems in my life? Why do I still have all these issues? Because your prayer does not match up with your life. And then your prayer and your life don't match up with God's will. And then your heart doesn't match up with your prayer. It was just moving your lips. It doesn't match up with your life, your mouth, or God's will. And we say we're sorry. Have you ever met a kid? I used to be one of these kids. I used to hate something. I used to hate when my parents told me to say you're sorry. Because I was never sorry. <clears throat> I kind of was facetious when I was little. If I did, son, I really meant it. Except when I broke windows. 
I had this thing, and even to this day, if you bring any type of ball around me, a, a basketball, a soccer ball, a kickball, I'm going to kick it. If it's a baseball, I'm going to throw it. If it's a football, I'll throw it, then kick it. Tennis ball, I'll throw it. I have no choice. Church, I have no, Bring any type of sport ball near me. I had to clarify. And, and I will throw it. I will kick it. And I'm good. I can kick it. Always. When I was a kid, I broke all the windows I could think of. They wouldn't let me play with it anymore. My poor Aunt Annie, I broke her back window three times. I broke neighbor's windows. I broke windows at my friend David's house. We, every, we just broke windows. I used to, back in the old church, there was a big abandoned building in back of it. Around the corner, and all the kids used to run up after service before our parents would beat us, and we would go and get rocks. And you ever wonder who are the kids who, who go and break all the windows in the empty buildings? The pastor's kids. It was me. It was my brother. It was my cousins. We, about, there was about seven or eight of us, and we just run around the street. Throwing stuff. Just going, somebody said, going crazy. And so when I was a kid, like, I had all those types of issues. And my parents would be like, say you're sorry. And I'd be like, sorry. Say it like you mean it. Like you mean it. Not because you mean it. Like you mean it. I think that's horrible. Because when we become adults, we say sorry to God like we mean it. We condition ourselves not to be sincere in the moment of apology thinking that beating a kid down will make him be sincere. They're not going to make him be sincere. It's going to get him more upset. It's going to, I'm so sorry. I'm not telling you how to parent, do what you got to do, whatever you want to do, but I'm telling you from a perspective of a kid that used to get beat. That turned out great. There was times where I deserved it. But during a time of say you're sorry, no. Why? Because it was never sincere from my heart. And we condition ourselves as adults to say we're sorry to God, but not really mean it. Do you know how you know you don't mean it? If a man cheats on his wife and he says, I'm sorry, and does it again, was he sorry? No. But if you go out and say you're sorry to God and sin again, but you, you, you meant it. But the guy who cheated on his wife, he didn't mean it. But because it's you, you meant it. Even though you cheated on God. That's having a double standard. The church is full of that. One minute we're in God's presence, next minute we're acting reckless. The broken-hearted attracts the presence of God. The presence of God is attracted to the brokenness of man. The presence of God saves the spirit of the man who's crushed and understands what he did on that cross. Do you hate sin, church, or do you hate where it will take you? Big difference. Big difference. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah writes this, all these things my hands has made, God speaking, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is to whom I will look. Now God says everything in creation, I've made it, everything I've done it, but now let me tell you, now that I've made all this stuff, all this stuff that I could look at, let me tell you what I will look at. He who is humble and, somebody say contrite, in spirit, and he trembles at my word. Meaning he's crushed in spirit. The one I will look to, God says, is the one who is crushed in his spirit. The one who is crushed is the one I will save. God makes it clear. I will look upon the contrite. 
the one who trembles at my word, the one who does not mock grace but trembles at my word, God will not be mocked. If you desire to see God move in your life, really, then be broken before his presence. If you desire God to revive you of your life, then be broken in his presence. We cannot trample grace, Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, there's no sacrifice for sin that is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Listen to this. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, he's talking about the old covenant now, they died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely... Do you think someone deserves to be punished who tramples on the Son of God? He says, here's the law. If you, if you were punished under the law, you were killed. But now under grace, the covenant of Jesus, the punishment will be more severe if you trample on the sacrifice of Jesus. Church, when we continue living in sin, we put ourselves on the side of God's enemies. When you are okay with sin in your life, you put yourself on the side of God's enemies. We cannot continue to treat grace like a cheap way of being cleansed. And the reason we do this is because the weight and the cost of our sin does not resonate in our hearts. Surrender your heart to God. Surrender your heart. It's not time to struggle in sin for God is raising a generation of revivalists. Whose sole desire is to see a supernatural breakout of the Holy Spirit. A full scale awakening across Connecticut. A sacred kingdom pardon is not what God is trying to give us. Not just a get out of jail free card. He's trying to give you a total awakening. <coughs> a total awakening. If you would just understand what grace cost Jesus. How many people here maybe have a video game system at home or maybe you play it on your iPhone or on your Android devices. They have all types of games. Depending on the game, you normally have a certain amount of time or maybe a life bar to create or complete each level and ultimately the game. If you happen to mess up, you can usually hit that magic continue button. Just continue. Temple run. Run again. Blitz. Play again. No matter what it is, there's always like a continue button. It's never like make you start back from the beginning. Could you imagine if you were playing like Halo 3 or Call of Duty and they made you go all the way back to the beginning? No, they give you checkpoints the whole way through. They help you just like cheat. Maybe, maybe you don't remember like the old days. Nowadays, we have this like magic continue button on every game. But remember, remember the days of, of what's your game over there on, on North Avenue? The days of Milford Amusement, the arcades, the days of, of FYE. Remember those days, FYE, like, oh, my God, like, I want to go to FYE or Chuck E. Cheese. Where you had a certain amount of quarters and you had a handful of quarters and a, just a handful because we were all grew up poor. And so your dad gave you $5 to go to the arcade and you knew that was 25 games. Because you would get the extra couple free. You don't remember? Okay, just me. All right. Every game cost you something. And once your money ran out, you couldn't play anymore. And so you wanted these quarters to last as long as possible. And you guarded them carefully. 
you played more carefully. Sometimes, if we're honest, we treat grace like a continue button instead of realizing it's like you're at arcade and you might run out of money at any moment. God desires for you to understand that every time you hit that magic, I'm sorry, reset button, it costs him something. It costs him something every single time. Every single time it costs God something. It never stops. It always costs God something. We can show how we cherish God by being broken and contrite before the Lord. Though God's mercy and grace cost us nothing, it costs his son everything. Therefore, we should live in a way that honors this gift. We should guard it even more closely than quarters in the arcade. We should not spend it carelessly, but cherish it. We should not lose our cool and go all out on an argument and not go all out in, 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 in the Satan's way. And we should not go and just go beating up on, on, on our neighbors. And we should not go do it. We should not do this. We should not be gossiping. And we should not be hating the created and loving the creator. We can't do that. It's against God's will. It's, it's taking advantage of God's grace. Church, if you want revival, if you desire to see miracles, signs, and wonders, and the supernatural breakthrough, real confession of sin is not a two-minute prayer. It's not. It is not. God desires real holiness. David was caught in adultery, fornication, and murder, and yet because of his brokenness before the Lord, he was restored. Brokenness is the need of the church. We need to serve. We need to sever rather the love we have for sin. The love we have that cost Jesus everything. We said it in week one. Some people in this place are in love with things that God is ready to destroy. We need to see how our sins cost Jesus everything. We need to ask God that his conviction overwhelms us. As believers, we get trapped in sin mostly because we truly are not broken over it. We don't care how it makes God feel. A broken heart attracts God's attention. He draws near to the cleansing of our sins. God desires to have a revival of the contrite. Listen to what God says he will do for the contrite. Listen. Isaiah 57 15 the Lord led me to the scripture on Thursday night for thus says the one who is high and he is lifted up who inhabits eternity the one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy he says I dwell in the high in the holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Not only do I dwell in the holy place, but I also dwell in the lowly place with those who are broken about their sin. I don't just dwell in eternity. I dwell in the moment with you when you are convicted of your sins. Okay, I was waiting for that one amen. Thank you so much. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You want revival? Break your heart before God. You want revival in your life? Break your spirit before God. Become contrite. Become overwhelmed by the weight of your filthy sin. He says it right there. I dwell with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit 
of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Revival comes when we break ourselves before God. The Welsh revival of 1904 was characterized by people laying out at the altar, crying out to God, not for an hour, not for two, but for days on end, just feeling the weight of their conviction. Millions were saved. Azusa Street Revival broke out when there became an evidence, a unique evidence of our sinfulness in light of a holy God. It was not about guilt or remorse. It was about conviction. And people were laid out. But nowadays, you want to hit it and quit it at church. You want a you real quick drive-through experience with God. And you want to say a two-minute prayer and gain eternal life. But never <coughs> feel the weight of conviction. The great awakening of Jonathan Edwards right here in New England in the early 1800s was characterized by deep, profound confessions of sin and convictions and thousands would fall to their knees and thousands would give their lives to God after feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As far back as you can look, realize that when Peter preached, he declared in Acts, uh, the Bible says in Acts 2.37, the people were cut to the heart, meaning their heart was broken. They, they were cut to the heart when Peter preached. And when they were broken in their heart, God began to revive them. Okay, I'm, I'm just waiting for one amen per, so if you can help me out there, that's good. I got one. They were cut to the heart. Their hearts were pierced and broken upon realization of their sin and of the holiness of God and how they killed the Messiah. We read of a, of a town called Nineveh where the prophet Jonah was sent. And we know the story of Jonah. He didn't want to go. Got ate by a big fish. The fish threw him up on the shore right by Nineveh. How coincidental. He goes in there. He goes in there and preaches. God's going to kill all of you. And they all get convicted of their sin. And the Bible says they fasted and prayed and cried out to God and repented for days. The Greek word repent means to change your way about life. Change your thinking about life. The Hebrew word for repent means to return back to God's grace. I think some of us need to return back to God's grace. The greatest revivals and awakenings that happened across the world were all initiated because of the confession of sins totally brought in the presence of God and, and in a unique and huge way God showed up. <clears throat> because they were broken in their hearts, contrite in order to really see God move, they broke their hearts before God. This is not the only thing we have to do, but church, this is the first thing we have to do. To start dealing with any type of revival or awakening, you have to break your heart before God. And maybe you're sitting here and you don't see the necessity to break your heart before God. Then live a mediocre life. and Do it. Be my guest. Live for nothing. Never see God move. Never see God. Never see God move and never see the Bible come alive. Never realize what Jesus said, that we would do greater things than he did. But some of us don't want to do greater things because greater things come with a greater cost. And if it costs Jesus' life, what more could it cost us? It might cost you your life and your death. I wish you would understand that, that God is so tired of lukewarm, like sissy Christians who come to church to get blessed and not to be a blessing. I wish you would understand that God is not, he is not concerned with just saving you to save your life. He's concerned with saving you to save the destiny he placed in your life. God is not coming to get you so that he can save you and give you a nice life and bless your little kid in you. He's trying to bless your entire family and your neighborhood through you. But you want to live this mediocre, safe, candy-coated Christian life that offers nothing. 
That's why folks can be saved their entire life and still have a nasty attitude, never change, have anger problems, and hate everybody around them. Still dealing with the same sin we've always dealt with. Still dealing with the same things. You have a mixed message about God. And, and please, I, I stand here before you on behalf of all the pastors who came before you and got it all wrong. Break your heart before God. Break your heart before God. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. God desires to do something amazing. God desires to turn Bridgeport upside down, inside out, but it does not come by Christians who can't even change the inside. God can't change Bridgeport with Christians who can't change. Because God can't lead you to do something you haven't done yourself. In two weeks, we're going to occupy the Bassett High School Auditorium with a 700-seat capacity. Enough room for 900 people total. We can bring in seats, put them on stage, whatever we got to do. My heart's desire, my prayer is for all-out revival to take place in Bridgeport. My heart's desire is to see God move in the greatest capacity that Bridgeport has ever seen, but it will not come with a church who's mediocre and excited about things and not about God. It will not come from a church who's dibble-dabbling in sin and back and forth between grace and, 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 and sin and grace and sin, but it's going to come because a group of people rose up and, and realized that God had to be everything. That God had to be the everything in your life that would fuel you to wake up was not, was not everything you were going to get that day. You shouldn't go to work for a paycheck. You should go to work for the opportunity to reach someone for God. And the paycheck is the byproduct of the obedience you have to God. I know this is tough for some of you who don't really get the whole radical faith thing. But let me tell you something. We've radically disobeyed God. It's only right now that we radically obey God. It's amazing how when you're in the world, you will go all out. When you're in the Lord, you just, you just want to stick the foot and that's it. And I'm, I'm back out. I was so, man, I was so powerful my whole leg. I felt the Lord. I started shaking my leg and that was the Holy Ghost. God's not kidding. Like he wants full custody. Like he's serious. This thing is real. That 66-book Bible is real. Those miracles are not fake. But what happens now is the church has forgotten all across America how to reach the heart of God. And he says right there, I will revive the broken and the contrite. Well, pastor, I'm not dead. I have great faith in God. But you still have sin. And Jesus said, anyone who tries to keep his life will lose his life. But if you lose your life, you'll gain your life. I never understood that until a couple of years ago. God revealed to me that when you lose your life, you die to yourself and God revives you. And you have a personal revival in your life. A fresh breath of the wind of God. The fresh breath of the wind of God. 1973, Liberty University. Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, about 10.30 at night, the prayer service was over. People were milling about. They were just walking around, and one student from the college, he walks up to the altar. Mind you, the mics are off. The pulpit lights are off. Sanctuary lights are off. When he walks up to that pulpit, <clears throat> he drops to his knees, and he begins to cry out to God for forgiveness of his sins. He begins to cry out to God. 
didn't care if anyone saw him. There's about 10 people in the church at this time. He did not care who saw him, who heard what he was saying. He did not care who was around him. He sat there. He got on his knees. He cried out to God with everything in him, tears streaming down his face. Next thing you know, another person walks into the altar and they start crying out to God. They cry out to God and say, God, I'm so sinful. God, I'm so dirty. I'm so filthy. I took advantage of you, God. I love you so much. And, and they began to repent. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Next person gets up and they go start singing a song. And then a person who had to play the piano. Now just about 12 o'clock at night, they go and play the piano. The rest of the people there, they get down on their knees because they begin to feel the presence of God in the place. Just past midnight, someone calls the pastor and says, Pastor, get back to the church. Revival's breaking out right now. Deacons came back. Pastors came back. They started calling the members of the church and the student body of the college. And folks started coming in by the hundreds. And next thing you know, they're there on Thursday all day, Saturday, all the way to Saturday. They're there all day. They did not leave. They cried out to God and prayed. And people didn't go to work. They weren't worried about earthly things when their eternity of their spiritual was in jeopardy. They cried out to God and they were there for days on end. Total revival was breaking out. Conviction of sins was just everywhere. People would walk into place and collapse under the presence of God. Have you ever walked into a place and knew you were underdressed? I said, man, if I, I wish I had known, I would have wore, wore a suit. I have on jeans and flip-flops and that's how it is when you walk into the presence of God. You realize your filthiness and your inadequacy to him. Not because he wants to place guilt on you, but he wants to have you realize who he is. Because if you never sense the holiness of God, you never realize how great he is and how horrible we are. And then you have a mixed idea that you're just as good as God and you're not. You're nowhere near it. Not even on your best day. <laughs> Revival had hit the church. It wasn't about wearing a suit. It wasn't about coming in neckties. People were there in their pajamas for hours on end crying out to God feeling guilty about what they had done and how they lived their life classes were cancelled the school shut down normal activities were no more people weren't eating, they weren't drinking they were crying out to God falling asleep in the pews if they got too tired to fight off the drowsiness no one left the sanctuary after they came in because when they left the building, they were leaving an almost tangible presence of God. They did not want to miss anything God was doing. I'm talking church real. Revival had broken out. The intensity of the experience came in waves. There were times that were louder. There were times that were quiet. People were publicly confessing their sins. And then you would have moments of quiet and weeping. Early Saturday morning, one student rose up to confess his sins. But he seemed to be bragging more than confessing about what he had done and when he had sinned. And immediately the Spirit of God left the place. There was no brokenness in him. It was just more, you know, I used to do this. I used to do that. I, I can't stand people with testimonies like that. I want to spend 20 minutes about how the devil had you in a grip. And in two seconds, and God saved me. How about the goodness of God? The greatness of God? And this young man stood up and he ruined the entire thing. Literally, everyone stood up and walked out because they realized at that moment the presence of God departed. Because this man stood up and ruined a four-day revival because he was not broken in his spirit. That's so many times how we approach God. Oh God, I know this is wrong, so I guess I have to say sorry about it. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I'm, I'm really sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And in the back of your mind, worried about what you're going to eat after church. 
Some of you sitting here maybe watching your clocks. Some of us sitting here wondering what's going to happen later on in our day. Missing the greatest moments of our life because we're too focused on things that don't matter. Not realizing the time of our visitation is now. For 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. We've gotten so far from confessing our sins as Christians, we've gotten more into this whole thing of just saying, God, forgive me. Instead of saying, God, I'm, I'm dealing with issues. I'm dealing, I'm dealing with issues of addictions. I'm dealing with issues of sexual immorality. God, I'm dealing with all types of issues in my life. Men dealing with masturbation issues. Men dealing with pornography issues. <clears throat> Women dealing with issues of their past. Dealing with all types of gossip and jealousy and envy in your heart. All types of issues and hatred towards people. And we don't ever really ask God if we don't do that. We just say, God, just on the surface, take care of me. We don't confess our sins in reality. We don't say what's wrong. He didn't say, ask me to forgive you. Not once in the Bible did he say, ask me to forgive you. He says, confess your sins. Confess your He never even says, plead the blood of Jesus over your life. That's not in the Bible. It's not. But we've been taught this gospel that we could just say, I plead the blood of my life and bam. He says, mm, that's, mm, no, confess your sins. Confess your sins. And he, God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 57, 17, one more time. Or verse 15. But thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He said, I dwell in the high and the holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I came to tell someone today your life would never be the same when you latch on to the brokenness of heart that David had. <clears throat> we talk about being after God's heart, but you've never confessed a sin in the day in your life. We talk about being after God's heart. We talk about chasing after him. We sing songs about pursuing him, but yet our lives pursue other things. Everything else takes precedence above God everything I, I don't I don't believe that the president told you he was coming to your house whether you voted for him or not because you might just end up being this you could tell him off but you would be there but yet God creator of everything that is good creator of everything we see and know unseen and seen he's ignored daily He's cast to the side. He's nowhere near the important thing in your life. But yet we serve him and we supposedly honor him. And maybe some of you feel really like beat up today and, and, and that's all right, honestly. That's all right. Tell somebody next to you, it's going to be all right. Because God desires for our hearts to be broken. Some of you feel, might, might, might feel deeply offended by half of the things I said. 
I want to tell you that you're in good company because I'm offended. You're in good company because the Bible says that in Acts chapter 2, when he cut them to the heart, they were offended. You're in good company. Let me tell you something, church. If you came here for some sugar-coated pastor, you'll never get it from me. I want to give you the hard, cold truth. I want to give you the truth that says, listen, if we don't get it right, eternity means just that, eternity. We can't expect great things for God and do normal things for ourselves. If you expect something great from God and you want real revival in your life and you want real things like that, you want a real revival in the city, you want God to break out of your life, you want real restoration in your marriage, you want all that stuff, you want God to really do stuff, then break yourself before God. Give him total access, young and old. You're never too young and never too old to break your heart before the Lord. Maybe some of you were saying, well, what does that mean to break my heart? It means to confess your sin and actually feel really guilty about it in the sense of just the conviction of God. To realize what Jesus did on that cross for you. To cry. To break yourself and say, God, God I'm just so, I'm so, I'm so broken by you. You know what happens when, when, when we do that is, is Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says that, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He talks about all the angels. He talks about everything that he saw in heaven. And he talks about how he's in the presence of God. And he says, at one point, he says, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. Meaning, I'm ruined because I'm in the presence of God completely in sin. Immediately after he says that. <coughs> God asks a question to himself. He says, uh, whom shall I send? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you get that picture. There's probably millions, if not billions of angels in heaven who have been there for probably like billions and millions of years in that same location, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. They're worshiping God. The only newcomer is Isaiah. He's sitting there full of sin. God breaks him, completely ruins him, he says. I am ruined. And then God says, whom shall I send? Could you imagine, like, immediately every angel has looked at him like, you're the only visitor here. He's talking to you. It's like an extremely rhetorical question, God, whom shall I send? In this room of billions, like, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? But I find it amazing that it was not till he was ruined and broken that he found the calling in God. And some of us have tried to not be ruined and not be broken and to be superficial in our faith. And that's why you found it so hard. You're always struggling what God's calling you to do. You're always struggling what God's calling you to do because you're not broken in your heart. Isaiah had to be ruined and broken before he found the purpose and the destiny of God. Is anybody here, you understand what I'm saying to you today? You know, it's about 1249 right now. I'm going to ask Yoshi to come on up here. I've asked her to sing just a song for us. And while she's singing, I don't want you to stare at her. I don't want you to look at her. As a matter of fact, as of right now, church is over. Like, if you want to leave, I want you to be my guest. If you got somewhere to go, please, honestly, go. You want to grab your kids. God bless you. I really want to thank you for coming today. But I'm just looking for some people to be broken before the Lord. People who are tired of always being caught to and fro and from in their lives. People tired of, of just struggling. 
The altar is open for you. I don't care if you're an usher. I don't care what you're doing. Like the altar is open for you. And I want you to really understand that God desires for us to be. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the contrite in spirit. He revives you. He will awaken something new in you. And maybe you haven't given your life to God. Now's that moment where you could do. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. Just confess your sins. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a fornicator. Say whatever it is you're in. Whatever is in your heart. Whatever is in your life. Whatever is not of God. And when you leave this place, if you break yourself before God, it'll all change. I think that so many times we say, we say to ourselves, oh, Oh, when I left church, it was all the same, but that's all right because I know something changed on the inside. That's garbage. Everything will change. I never see one person come in contact with Jesus in the Bible and they got healed an hour after he left. A couple days later. Every time Jesus shows up on the scene, things change instantly. But yet in the church, it doesn't. That's garbage. Somebody lied to us. Things can change right now. Come on, would you stand to your feet?